Grace, mercy, and peace be with you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. It probably won't surprise some of you that I am the holder of the Chief Scout Award and the Queen's Venture Award, having made my way all the way through scouting from beavers to wolf cubs to scouts to venturers. I suppose now it would be the King's Venture Award, but at the time it was the Queen's. And just as it is in the United States and in the United Kingdom and in countries around the world, the motto of the Scouts is, be prepared. Because you never know what's going to come next. You never know what you're going to meet while you're out in the woods, or as we call it here, the bush. There's a reason why it's called the bush. What if it starts snowing, or hailing, or raining? Or what if you get lost, or you get hurt, or it gets cold? You've got to be prepared for whatever might come along. Prepared for the fact that you might end up spending more time in the bush than you expected you were going to. I remember one particular day hike that we were on. We were out for about two and a half hours, three hours, and our scout leader said, okay, we're staying here tonight. To which we all looked at him and said, what? Yeah, we're gonna stay here tonight. I bet you weren't prepared for that, were you? It was a very, very long night. Jesus is telling parables to the people of Jerusalem. These are, again, his last days, if not really his last hours before his arrest and crucifixion. And he is telling people to be prepared. That's the point of the parable for today. But prepared for what? Prepared for the arrival of the wedding party. Now, wedding traditions are different in every place on earth. And in the Middle East, one of the traditions was a wedding parade, that the groom would head over to the village to the place where his betrothed was living, gather her up, and the two of them would parade through the streets of town from one end to the other, taking the longest, most circuitous route they could before they finally got to the wedding hall to celebrate the consummation of their wedding. So you never knew, you see, when the bridal party was going to get to your part of town. You never knew how long it was going to take. So you had to be prepared that they might arrive quickly or it might be a very long wait. Five people, today's parable, are prepared that this could be a long wait. Five of them are not. Now, I told you a few weeks ago that the invitation that Jesus gives to the world is not an invitation to choose heaven or hell. Those are not the words that he uses. He says the invitation is to the groom's wedding feast. It's a party that we are inviting the world to. And yes, it is a shame. There are so many people that say that is not a party that we want to be part of. And yet, nonetheless, we keep sending out the invitation. God says, come. The feast is now ready. Now, three weeks ago, we talked about a parable that was emphasizing the difference between those who said yes to the invitation and those who said no. But today, it's all people that have said yes. This is really directed towards the Christians. And it's also asking the question, are you prepared for a long haul? Are you prepared that it might take some time for all the things you've been waiting for to finally come to pass? Are you prepared? The wedding feast 
might not even start until you and I are long gone. It has been a long wait, over 2,000 years, for the fulfillment of the rest of the promises that God made to his prophets in the scriptures that we call the Old Testament. The beginning of that fulfillment, of course, happened in Jesus. It happens with his the announcement to Mary that she's going to give birth. It happens in that birth in Bethlehem so long ago. It happens as, as Jesus grows up and he begins to heal the lame and give sight to the blind and hearing to the deaf. And all of those wonderful promises that God made that he would come and be with his people. But there are a whole bunch of other promises that haven't come to pass yet. The new heavens, the new earth, the restoration of a home in which there is righteousness, in which there is no longer violence and hatred, and man turned against fellow man, a disobedience to the simple commandments of God to not steal, to not murder, to not commit adultery, a place in which we can all finally have true salon, shalom, peace. Some of us will wait our entire lives without seeing it happen. And so some of us will even fall asleep. That's the phrase that Jesus coins for death. His sheep don't just disappear. They fall asleep in his name to await the arrival of the groom and the bride. That was our epistle reading that we just heard from Pastor Cloa. We do not want you to be uninformed about those who are asleep that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. You don't grieve over somebody who's having a nap. Well, I suppose some people do if they want you to get up and look after you, especially my cat. There's something about napping that really, really disturbs her. I want you up and I want you about, but normally you don't. Where do we grieve? At a funeral. And yet, Paul uses the same phrase that Jesus used for those who have died in his name. Not death or disappearing, but falling asleep. As Jesus has an encounter with Jairus and his daughter, in Luke chapter 8, we read, While Jesus was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said to him, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. There's bedside manner for you. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear. Only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. Not in Jesus' eyes. She's simply asleep. Jesus uses the same phrase about his friend Lazarus. Right in John chapter 11. After saying these things, Jesus said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to waken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. But Jesus had spoken of his death. They thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. Multiple, multiple, multiple times in the New Testament, the phrase falling asleep is used as a synonym for death. And so when you hear about ten bridesmaids, young women, maidens, virgins, who are waiting for the groom and the bride to come, but they fall asleep. What else can that be than our death into Christ? 
Things may take a long, long time before the groom and the bride make their way through the village of the world to come for us. And so the question Jesus is asking us is, do you have enough oil? Are you, like a good Boy Scout, prepared for the long haul? Prepared that this whole life might go by before those promises that God made about the new heavens and the new earth are fulfilled. Are you ready? Are you prepared? Jesus speaks promises to you and I. Jesus gives gifts to you and I. As I said in our catechism lesson, God is a gift-giving God. And if you think about it from a certain perspective, every single promise that God speaks, every single gift that he gives is oil for your lamps. It's what enables you to be light in the world, which is what Jesus says his followers are. We don't burn on our own. We don't have our own oil. But Jesus fills us up with his promises and with his gifts, with the forgiveness of sins, with the recognition that even though our consciences want to keep reminding us of the terrible things we've done, in God's eyes that conscience has been wiped clean by Jesus' death. Even though we look at the world and we feel hungry and thirsty for righteousness, Jesus still feeds us each and every Sunday we gather at this altar and says, you are mine, I am your shepherd, you are my sheep, and I lead you beside still waters and into green pastures, and I fill you up with the oil of the good news. Somebody this morning came to me and said, I'm so glad we have a baptism this morning because I need some good news. There's somebody who understood what baptism is, one of those many, many gifts that our gift-giving God pours out and rosemary this morning is going to have her lamp filled with oil. Not because of anything she's done, not because she's deserved it, but because God is a gift-giving God. And when Jesus died on that cross, as the writer of Hebrews says, he now gives good gifts to his people. And the gift he gives to Rosemary is that she is now called by God's name. God calls her and says, you are mine. The same as he does for each and every one of you who have been baptized, whether in that font or some other font. God filled you with oil so that you would be prepared. When we gather here on Sunday morning, it's not out of obligation. It's not out of, well, God says in the third commandment, I'm supposed to remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, and if I don't, oh my goodness, he's going to come and wag the divine finger at me. No, God invites you to fill up your lamp with oil. Because this world will drain it all. You go out there as a dimly burning wick or a really fierce torch, and either way, the world is going to be trying to put it out. God says, come, let me fill you up. Let me give you the oil so that you will be prepared for tomorrow, for the day after tomorrow, for the end of the week, for the end of the month, for the end of the year, and yes, for the end of your life, the end of my life, which could come soon or could come a long ways down the road. But either way, we want to be, as Jesus urges us to be, prepared. Coming to worship is like filling up your backpack, which I did not do on that hike. 
I didn't have all the right stuff in there, but it's coming and being ready to go out into the woods with your flashlight and with your thermal blanket and with everything else that you need. And when we cut ourselves off from those gifts, it's like we let our backpack be rummaged through by the world and we have nothing left in there to give. Because each and every week we need some good news and we need to hear one more time that God is a gift-giving God and he wants to give you what you need so that you will be prepared. We wish Godspeed to Anne many, many, many weeks ago. She has been up working in the James Bay and I was talking with her the other week about the drive. <laughs> and it is a heck of a drive all the way up to the far, far north. And you need to be prepared on that drive. You've got to have your candles. You've got to have your extra fuel. You've got to have your spare tire in case your tire goes flat, you've got to be ready for anything because you never know what's going to happen. In the same way, being a Christian is like making that James Bay Road drive. You don't want to start it out on empty. You don't want to start it with a tire with two nails in it. You don't want to start it with no food in your vehicle. You want your backpack filled. And here God will fill it with the good news that you are his and he is yours. He has died for you. He has bled for you. He has called you by name in baptism. He announces the forgiveness of your sins and he feeds you with his very own body and blood. Be prepared in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. And now, let us continue to fill up Rosemary's lamp with oil by celebrating together the sacrament of holy baptism.